This is the most fantastic story I've ever heard. And every word of it's true, too. That's the fantastic part of it. Didn't you really feel so bad because killing him felt so good? And why shouldn't it feel good? You must feel good to God. He does it all the time. Bring some of this, Michael. Be one of us. Is that uh, absolutely necessary? Yes. What did he say? He's, he's afraid it is. Ah, oh, fine. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. You see? You see? Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. Kill your brother. You'll feel better. White lines in the middle of the road. It's the worst place to drive. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Cult of Classics. Now, I've heard those screaming lambs are f- for years. I wanted them to be silent. I love their silence. But now it's time to put on our glasses and see what we can see. And do you see? Do you see? Because today we are talking about <laughs> Manhunter. <laughs> what do you see? If, if you were to write your name down on a piece of paper, what would I see? You would see the transformation of a man to an ephemeral being and you would be right to tremble in the sight of that. But if I were to like read your name. Oh, my name is Tarver. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Liam. And this is the show that you have already decided to listen to because it's a podcast and you had to click play and go to our podcast page. It's Cult of Classics. We're talking about Manhunter. The 1986 film, um, uh, this is Michael Mann's film. It's the first film adaptation of the of Red Dragon, the novel by Thomas Harris. Yeah. It features the FBI agent Will Graham, who captured Hannibal Lecter, by going into the mind of a serial killer. Later films and TV shows pop- popularized both Lecter and Graham, turned them into touchstones in our culture obsession over serial killers and the FBI agents that hunt them. But this was the first theatrical depiction of Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, Hannibal Lecter, as I noticed on a, a newspaper clipping shown in this film, spelled L-E-C-K-T-E-R, yeah. which I thought was strange. Because every other one is L-E-C-T-E-R. Yeah. I think you in the books, too. Yeah, it's this odd choice. Yeah. Some producer must have liked it better or something. Yeah, but I, I was know. just like, oh, damn. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we doing wild shit. I like it. Yeah. And I'm just, spoiler alert, I fucking love this movie. And this is probably, again, big spoiler, this is my favorite film we've watched on Cult of Classics, I think. Oh, damn. So if you had to pick one episode of Cult of Classics to listen to me talk about, this would be the one. So, like any good film, <laughs> I still, I would point everybody to Buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai is a great episode. <laughs> um, also, uh, the boy, A Boy and His Dog is a great episode. So, like any good film, this movie tells us how we are going to watch it very early on. Uh, Will Graham, played by William Peterson, who, not just because he has the same last name as me, spelled the same as me, mm-hmm. and is... I, I, I was like, Tarver's going to like this guy. This guy is <laughs> skilled, though. Young, young CSI. Right, but what? I was like, man, this guy was a good actor, handsome, fit, yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm just wondering why he didn't blow up even bigger than he did. Well, this this film was not do well. No, yeah. it, did. it only got eight million out of its fifteen million dollar uh, budget. Yeah, so quite gross. So that's I mean that's probably number one because I don't know that he was in too too much before this. Yeah. Um. So if you come out if you come out flopping, people people might not necessarily give you that many chances. I thought he was good. I thought I thought he was a little like not flat, but he was um his. It's 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 kind of seems like a lot of his growth comes on very quickly in the movie. Like it's not it's not a super gradual build for him. I don't know that Will grows that much in the film as much um well one it's it's pretty difficult I think uh because it's a book um but his character's probably is already kind of defined. Like we're really just seeing his abilities kind of in action and this and the ever-present thing with Will Graham, which is, you know, dipping into the abyss and the abyss looking back at him and his mm-hmm. struggle over not 
crossing that line and not being able to come back. Yeah. So I think that was probably not as progressed as much as since. And, and I do want to challenge that a little bit by saying that um, you have seen the TV show Hannibal. Yeah. So yeah, you're, yeah. and you, you know, I don't, and other people have maybe read the book. So you may be a little more used to Will's transformation, but this is, uh, this is more of us like a singular story. Yeah. No, and, what I was going to say is that this is actually much unlike every other uh, Hannibal Lecter based movie is much more of a procedural yeah. than any of the other like film iterations that I've seen. Uh, and I, Oh, I've seen them also. Yeah. than any of the other ones. Um, but I tried to watch, I mean like, yeah, I, I love uh, my wife in particular is a huge fan of the show Hannibal. So I tried to watch it with a uh, objective lens. I didn't think about the show. Like I, and I wasn't trying to draw comparisons with the show. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. I think like when you do it, when you set this as like a procedural I thought it was interesting how they handled uh, Hannibal Lecter too. We can get, we'll get to that when we start talking about that scene, but like this, especially as the first in the series that would become the Hannibal Lecter saga um, is just a procedural. I mean, like there are interesting things about the Will Graham character that you can glean from it. And he's definitely like a very good detective, but like with a procedural, there isn't usually that much room for dynamic growth for characters. Like it's, right. it's much more about the plot, which I think is good. I mean, I think the plot is very good. Plot, yeah. And then the plot of red dragon is, is good. I think, and honestly, this is my favorite version of, of the telling of that story. I, I think it'd be hard to argue that this is not the superior of the red dragon films. Yeah, well, and the third season of the show is, is is I think, well, like half of that season is all just the Red Dragon story. And I, personally, I'm I'm such a fan of this movie that I like William Peterson's portrayal of Will Graham more than, than the show. Mm-hmm. I, I, and Hugh Dance? Yeah, I, I actually do. But anyway, so I just want to talk about how this movie, like all good films, really tells you how to watch it very early on. Um, in the first shot, uh, we see Will Graham... Uh, we we see William Will Graham played by William Peterson meeting with Jack Crawford who's played by Dennis Farina, aka Mr. Cop, aka Mr. Mobster. Yeah, Mr. In everything. Yeah, Mr. Mustache. Yeah, and they're sitting on a bit of driftwood on the beach, and we have the two characters are spaced really far away, and this is like classically they are at odds or in disagreement uh, while they're talking. Also, the shot is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, the Dante Spinotti, the DP, throughout this film is. Is uh he's like I, I feel like he's on a, another level for 1986 because now the stuff that he does is just like standard standard like great practice yeah and he's doing it way bef- ahead of that time yeah like he's he's killing the game with like natural lighting composition um soft light like I have a critique later but yeah. it, whatever he he does a, I I love the way he shoots big wide shots yeah he's beautiful beautiful um then uh you know Jack tries to run a game down on Will, and I, I fucking love that line. It's like, don't you try to run a game down on me, Jack. And he, he ends up seeing the pictures. But So that's, what's important here that I think tells the language of this film is that he slides the pictures over to him, and all we really see is just the the photo from Will's perspective of like a family, of the second, the most recently murdered family. Um, we don't get a flashback. We don't get a, a horrific screeching noise. We yeah. don't get any of that. We get building music and just we're our imagination is left to run free. Mm-hmm. So when do we get the POV of the, the flashlight? No, the killer with the flashlight. I think that might be like yeah, the opening shot. Yeah, it's it's right after the lovemaking scene and, and when Will gets into he gets dropped off. Uh yeah. No, no, it's the opening shot. Never mind. It's the yeah. it's the opening shot after that. Yeah, but that's like the only like typically in a in a serial killer procedural like this, you get these like gratuitous POVs of the killer going in and doing violent things, or like you get the the you know the the Wes Craven scream opening where you yeah. see a murder happen. But like with this, it's very limited. I and I did like that. I did I did like that because especially. You know, with with a movie that's about a serial killer, there's way there's a lot of open doors yeah. to walk through for gratuitous violence, and this kind of steers clear of that. So yeah, that's actually the opening shot, right? Yeah, is that, and this is the shot where we first introduce the characters, and that's kind of like the credit shot, I would say, more than like the the opening opening. I mean, it, yeah. it's like a 
like a preface. It's like, hey, this creepy thing happened and they shoot it in this like, they look like he shot it with digital or something or like really low grade like home movie, which is very on purpose. And yeah, and you just see the woman get up and that's all you see. And you know something creepy's happened. So again, all left to the imagination. Um, and the film, the whole film will always leave space for you to, to visualize the killings more than graphically depicting them, which I think is probably a part of why the film didn't do well. Yeah. Because I, I really don't, I think that nuance, uh, while I appreciate it, doesn't do well in the film space in general. I think audience have kind of shown that they like graphic violence. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, very brave. I appreciate it. But, you know, I get why other people wouldn't. Um, and on the technical side, space is really conscious in Dante Spinotti's uh, compositions and in Michael Mann's blocking. So you often see objects placed in the foreground to create more depth in the scene. Uh, like even in the um, shot reverse shots over here, like these over the shoulders, they'll put uh, either Will or Jack's like b body or shoulder like right in front of the fucking lens. Yeah, big, big yeah. chunks. And so then they're having off. to cheat the actor very, very close to him because there's not a split diopter that keeps them both in focus. So they're they're either they're moving the actor like real close between the tape. So they're they're. It looks really wide on that, so they trick you. It's like really wide, and then they're bringing that actor really close. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll see that Michael Mann will even take these foreground option uh, objects and make them part of the direction of the scene. Later, there's a hotel scene where Will is on the phone, and there's a TV in the foreground, and or Will's looking at the TV, and he moves to the phone, which is another side of the room. So normally you would cut and just have him pick up the phone, but it's actually uh, a tracking shot where the camera goes behind the TV and acts as a natural wipe and then allows Will to come in from the other side. So they, it's not just uh, a composition technique. They're actually using it as part of the direction of the, of the scenes, which is really some next level dope shit that I really appreciate mm -hmm. because it's not just like, Hey, look at me. I understand composition. It's like, no, 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 let's see how we can play with it and make it a part of the story or how we tell the story, which is, that next level you want to get to. Um, so Will invites Jack to stay for dinner and we see even more space between Jack and Will's wife. So like a similar shot to the shot we just saw where they're so far away. Uh, Will's wife, Molly played by Kim Grice that they sit so far away from each other that they must have trouble hearing each other. I mean, in reality they they, unless they are screaming, mm -hmm. they have a lot of trouble. This is also a beautiful shot and, and uh, a beautiful silhouette shot that he does. Um, Throughout, he does it at the end of the film too, where he'll expose for what the characters are looking at through the window and not the characters. So the characters themselves, their backs are pretty dark. You can't really see their faces when they turn around, but you can see the ocean wonderfully. Um, then you get another beautiful shot where there's this really nice lovemaking scene between Will and Kim, where they're you know lying in bed together, and she's like, you know, I really don't want you to go, and then he's just like, come here, and it's I think it's dope. I thought, I, I thought they had chemistry. Yeah, it's, they shoot it for day for night, and they put a big blue filter over the camera, which used to be the, all the rage. I still think it looked good. I think you could do it right now. I I still like it. I'm like, I believe that's night. Yeah, I know what they're doing. Yeah. But I still like it. All right, let's get into act two, because now, <laughs> now we're on the hunt. Will's on the case. He's like, you know what? Fuck you, Jack, but now I'm in. You son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, this, this is exactly... This movie could be called You Son of a Bitch, bitch I'm, I'm in. in. Yeah, <laughs> That right. is the plot. Yeah. <laughs> Will gets dropped off at the crime scene by a cop who's a pretty good little character actor. I can't remember his name, but like the guy was very familiar to me. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, And the audience gets introduced to his method of going into the mind of the killer. Later, like... If you watch the TV show, this is like my design. That's yeah. when he does that little thing, and then yeah. Well, his thing is his his whole thing is that he thinks like when when a lot of detective stories have this trope of like he can think he can get into the mind of a killer. He can he can think like a killer, but usually that's pretty consequence free, right? Like people just see it as an attribute and makes it like it turns your it turns your hero into kind of or your detective. You have to you end up giving your hero. Some superpower. others, yeah, it's a superpower, and then they have to have they have to compensate for it with some sort of vice, like Sherlock Holmes is addicted to opium, or like you know, like the 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 bad, you know, the the alcoholism, the the fighting, the whatever right. it is that's supposed to drag him down. With Will, it's just that his his gift, his ability to empathize, like they directly look at the the flip side of that power, which is 
it fucks you up. Like, yeah. And it's, they, they, they do get into it in, in this movie. I think they do it in a very subtle and, and cool way that I haven't really seen before. Cause like the, the Edward Norton, Will Graham is not cash money. No. So like a really, like if you want to draw a direct comparison, I would do it to Hugh dance who has his own really good take on Will Graham. But like this movie is way more subtle and it really works within the confines of the procedural format like we he still fleshes it out it out well and it's present from beginning to end for him but like when you first see that and he develops his his style a little bit of of uh detection and his how how much he vocalizes how much like his 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 inhabitants of the mind of the killer grows over the course of the film but this is a really like subtle entry point and i really thought that was well done by um michael peterson William Peterson. William Peterson, sorry. And um, really w- well directed by by Michael Mann because he grows it very naturally over the course of the movie. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, uh, so like Liam just said, and, and to showcase it, he narrates to an audio recorder what the killer saw and felt based off observations of the room, the temperature, his immediate sensory thoughts, like his senses and, and the thoughts that come from those. And when you see the room, even though the bodies are completely gone, the blood stains and the 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 fucked up uh, bed sheets, you know, the ruffled bed sheets and everything, it's it's just horrific. Mm-hmm. And his description is terrifying because we, as the audience, we believe him. Like we trust this narrator that he's become for us, and he's you know he's describing the scene and he's describing the feelings of the killer, and it just it really works for me. Like it's really powerful and the music building and the way it's shot and how wide it's shot and how we're not constantly moving into his eyeball or anything like that and it's just letting it play out it just shows a lot of trust to your actor which i super appreciate and a lot of trust to your dp for like just setting the scene so i I really dig it um and then will uh you know as he breaks down the case, he decides he needs to get the old sim back. A lot, of, a lot of developments come from his what he discerns in there. He figures out that there was like a touch on the eyeball and such, mm-hmm. and we get a cool scene with the Atlanta detective uh, or the, the chief of police in Atlanta, I guess, whoever he is. We don't really get; uh, they don't do a lot of like this person, like a lower third, or say who it is. They just yeah, the, like lesser characters just come in, say their lines, and move on, and we yeah. kind of infer their figure of authority by how they interact with people around them. Yeah. Uh, which well, again, the 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 Atlanta poli- the Atlanta police officer too is like his speaking role is set. He's like at the head of a of a briefing room, so like he's clearly in charge. Like they do the establishing shot, and then they're like, okay, so this guy we don't know his name, we don't. Know, it's not important. He's but he's at the head of this briefing room, and he's the he's the head Atlanta cop guy. Yeah, like that's all you need to know. So yeah, he he comes and and they determine that there's a from Will's um, gift that there's uh, a thumbprint or a fingerprint on the eyeball, so they get it sent off. But what really is important is that he he needs to visit Hannibal Lecter uh, because he needs to get the old scent back. And those are his words. Um, the Lecter never hears, <laughs> yeah. which is important too. So he visits Hannibal Lecter, played by uh, Brian Cox. Yeah, an OG. An OG. Um, and there's this weird little duality between uh, Brian Cox and Anthony Hopkins because when Brian Cox was playing Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins was playing King Lear on stage. And then later, when Anthony Hopkins was playing Hannibal Lecter, Brian Cox was playing King Lear on stage. Yeah. So they're two comp- contemporaries. They're both giants. Um, they're fantastic. And something that a lot of people you know, might find contentious is I actually prefer Brian Cox's portrayal of Hannibal Lecter to the Anthony Hopkins portrayal portrayal, because I feel like this Hannibal Lecter is less of, you a, know, a gentleman spy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, and more of the guy that's can sit down on the plane and I never, ever know until he stabbed me in the, in the, um, you know, ribs. Yeah. And, and bled me out. I and, think like it's, it's a different. It's it's two different but totally valid takes on the, on the character. Like, I think Anthony Hopkins goes. He go. He leans way more into like the hyper intelligence of Hannibal Lecter. Way more into the like the the upper crusty like like privileged 
position that he works himself into, which is fine. That's it's a great thing. It's a really interesting thing to focus on, especially if you're playing. I know he's only in the the Silence of the Lambs for like 15 minutes, but. That's, Brian Cox is barely. I was going to say that's probably twice as much screen time as Brian yeah. Cox has in in, in Manhunter, um, but Brian Cox really kind of zeroes in on the insane side, which mm. I think is more like he seems more unstable to me in his interaction with Will Graham. Like he later on in his scenes on his own, he really kind of he shows that he's capable of putting on the the facade, but when he's with Will, it's very menacing like very very intense crazy guy energy yeah <laughs> yeah I, but I, I thought that was cool i thought i was like a way that i had not seen hannibal lecter played before too i mean I, my thing too is is i think that anthony hopkins while the performance is great it is almost a little more cartoonish and overdone in some ways all the and like chianti and like weird affects that he puts on when i like them but when you see Brian Cox, it's much more, it feels just more honest. Like it's just, it's less acting with a capital A and it's, it's just more like this guy is a kill. I don't know. He feels more like a killer to me. He doesn't pull the focus of the movie. Yeah. yeah. It will also like Hannibal Lecter is technically supposed to have a sort of indiscernible European accent. Right. Like he, I think he's supposed to be from like Lithuania or something like yeah. that. And that nobody does that. No, <laughs> like, nobody does that. Like, which I think is it leaves, but they're like accent, yeah. Like, and Brian Cox has this sort of upper crust. He has a, like a naturally kind of an upper crusty American accent. Except for his inspiration, he was no, he's British. He said he said he was he was playing like a fifteen year old schoolboy. Yeah, that was, yeah. But well, in this it it sounds like an upper crusty American accent to me. Yeah, you're right. Um, Brian Cox is like Scottish, though, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, he's from the UK for sure. So, um, also shout outs to Succession. Watch Succession. Yeah, <laughs> if you like Brian Cox, watch uh, the Bourne films. Yeah, the the scene between or uh, Rob Roy, he's great in that. He's in a lot of shit. Somebody watch Succession so I can talk about Succession <laughs> with you. <laughs> yeah, somebody watch it for Liam <laughs> and then talk to him. So uh, the scene between the two features some really creative choices. The cell is white, like stark white. Um, and while Hannibal is in a cell, uh, the bar with bars on it, the reverse of each shot does not shift the bars as they naturally would. What, what I mean by that is like, you know, if, if I'm talking to somebody and I see they're behind bars and you're shooting over my right shoulder and then you shoot over their left shoulder, the bars are going to be in a different place when you're looking at me as when I'm looking at you. But he's very, uh, man is very careful and intentional about shifting the actors so that the bars are identical over them in an effort to create, uh, you know, the reflection between that Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter are both aware of that Will is terrified of mm -hmm. and that Hannibal Lecter very much wants to prey on. cultivate yeah. and prey on because he would like to create a serial killer. It's kind of his thing yeah. is making them um, more like him. Um, so Will gets an important clue about the killer's fascination with the moon and needing large backyards, but in doing so he has pissed Hannibal off, which is <laughs> not a very smart thing to do. Um, and, and Hannibal makes a, a really chilling, uh, call as he's yelling away and he says, smell yourself. Well, first he also uh, correctly says right when Will gets in, he's like, you come to get the old scent back. Mm -hmm. So he, he, uh, Locked on to something that Will said nowhere near him, hundreds of miles away. Yeah. That he had no way of knowing. Locked onto it immediately. Also, does his Hannibal shit. Can tell us by his cologne and his hands and his tan. <clears throat> he's not he's not a cop anymore. Yeah. Discerns it, figures it out. Scares Will on out the room. Runs out. <laughs> so, this, this, I know it's very dramatic, but the scene was also really funny to me because the guards all had such natural reactions. Like, yeah, are you straight? Like, they're all yeah. just like, hey, what? Hey, why are you running? Yeah, you're they in do a, mental... a POV. Yeah, but like... before the POV, did you recognize the staircases? Were they the they... ramp? No, it's no. a huge white ramp, and you and you see them go down the level. You and I both went up and down that ramp many times through our years of like schooling. 
It's the High Museum in Atlanta. That's what I thought. Okay, I was like, that the ramp is like unmistakable when you really think about it. Also, the uh, I think they used the the for part of the hotel that Will stays at. They used the Marriott downtown because mm-hmm. yeah. it's very recognizable. Also, yeah, they filmed this in Atlanta. Some parts of it in Atlanta. Yeah, so way before the big Georgia film rush. Yeah. So I it, mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> thirty years before. Yeah, so it, it was really cool to me to see that. I was like, that ramp is so like recognizable. Yeah, because it it is very long. Yeah, it definitely. It's, it's stark white. Yeah, it's unmistakably the high museum, which is why they probably did it because it's yeah. how stark white it is. I I don't know. I want while we're bring, while we're talking about stark white, I don't know when we see him for the first time. But I mean, Doctor Chilton is is you know a, a a pretty solid character in the books and in the show and in the other movies but he's, right. he's like no. sort of, he's ancillary in this one but yeah. his i thought it was his office is 100 percent white just total white yeah. total white his lamp is white his stapler's white yep. his phone is white like yep. everything even in his and he's not a prisoner yeah. <laughs> i was like this is super off-putting and it makes me automatically not like you i was like I, if you were trying to just like not develop him that much but make me like put me off balance looking at him like mission accomplished because i hate this office i'm sure for sure and i was like this he's office a, i don't want to look at it anymore i don't see a, it no more he's a hated character <laughs> he's a hated character in fact whenever you see dr shelton you're you're wanting hannibal to eat him yeah. like that's what you want you want yeah so except on the show god they fuck him up yeah <laughs> um so will it gets hotter and hotter on the trail of the truth fairy aka red dragon aka mr dollahide played by tom noonan mm-hmm. who is a dope actor uh, when he get it, you know, gets a little typecasted because he's so fucking tall. Cause he's a Frankenstein man. He's not a handsome man. <laughs> he's very tall. Yeah. Um, when he gets a call from Dr. Chilton played by J- Benjamin H- Hendrickson about a note, uh, found in Hannibal Lecter's cell from the tooth fairy. This is in the next like really huge plot point. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's some conversations with his wife. There's con- conversations with Jack before uh, this, but an examination of the note leads to the team to devise a, the, the note basically, you know, tells like there's this correspondent, they know about Will, um, and from that he's, he's like, oh, he must read the Tattler. So they devise uh, a plan <laughs> to take a photo shoot and have an article written by Freddie Lowndes, played by Stephen Lang, who earlier in the movie gets fucking like yeah. judo thrown onto yeah. a car. <laughs> Will Graham just somehow is, is so strong. He just like, Bruh, he's in good shape. I mean, like I know he's in good shape, but he <laughs> picks up this grown large man. Judo. It's a judo. No, it's he a, picks him a, <laughs> over his body. No, no, he doesn't. Yes, he does. <laughs> I'm telling you, he like suplexes him he onto a car. Suplex him. It is a big throw. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a belt hip throw. I mean, it's, I mean like there's a cut. You can't, can't really see what happens, you can't see. but like you see him go up in the air, his legs flip over, and then come back down on a car, and and like also Stephen Lang, props to you. You're, I mean, he was he was really going for it yeah. with the Freddie Lowndes character, but I was just like. Who is this Staten Island thug? Yeah. Like, he's just like, hey, what the fuck are you doing out here? You're trying to fucking catch a fucking serial killer, you dumb piece of shit? Like, you're a story, your news. I'm writing for the Tatla. I was like, oh, we gonna go, like, we gonna take every cartoonish moment and, and, and instinct, and we're gonna just force it all through Freddie Lowndes. He I did his best. Hated his character. I love, I mean, like. Well, you're supposed to. I mean, I know, but, like, I hated. The, I hate I had the portrayal of the character. I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, like for real, <laughs> what is going on? Well, they, they did make him hateable, so that is what they wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and the no, they they come up with a plan to bait the killer with this article in this photo shoot, which is a really smart idea. Yeah, but they get outwitted by the tooth fairy, and our man Freddie Lowndes gets abducted by the killer, and then we get this really frightening. But iconic scene in most people's minds because of its use on an episode of South Park. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it's the "Do you see? Do you see?" where they there's like the show of like mm-hmm. the person's like trip around the country or something. But Miller, Mr. Dollarhide shows Freddie images of the families he has killed and asks him, "Do you see?" every time uh, on a projector screen, which is a really scary episode because like up to this point, like you haven't seen Mr. Dollarhide's face. Yeah. And then the camera like pans up and he's huge. I mean, yeah. he is a big motherfucker. He's not just tall, like he's he's big. Yeah. Like he, he you would not want to fuck with this dude. No, he's and, like which Red Dragon, the film, this other film, 
really fucked up by not doing this. I, I really think that this is a really smart choice to make your serial killer this big. Yeah. Because, like, the guy in Red Dragon is just, like, an average-sized guy. It's Ralph Fiennes. He's not big. He's not big. He's a normal-sized man. They have, like, a one shot of him flexing his back muscles, and I'm like, that doesn't make him scary. Yeah. I mean, he's in good shape, but, like, he's not. But he's not big. Like, he's not that strong. Like, he's not someone that could just kill a grown man and dispose of his body. Like, this guy... The way they shoot him, the way they put it, I think they put him in like platform shoes to make him even taller. Yeah. He yeah. looks, and the, and they shoot him, they do some very interesting shots where like they'll have him grab somebody. Like when he grabs Freddie Lowndes, Freddie Lowndes' feet are like dangling by his shins. Yeah. They, and so he's like, usually like, oh my God, this man is enormous. Yeah. 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 The, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, I think it's a mistake. I mean, the, the Red Dragon movie, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that I, don't care for the red dragon uh with anthony hopkins that much i think it's like it's the third i think in this third best movie in this uh in the in the yeah in the series of films yeah yeah it's behind the tv show so it's like fourth yeah and and, i mean yeah hannibal and then hannibal rising are both like solidly trash (laughs) hannibal rising is unwatchable (laughs) hannibal rising is uh, like it's on another level you got to be a super fan uh, and, and even then, and even then, I would feel disrespected. Yeah, like as a as a super fan, if I were if I were like if I liked him, if I fucked with Hannibal Lecter, like I fucked with like Harry Ch- Potter, Harry Potter, or like or like you know the West Wing, yeah, or other shit that I'm into, super heavy. Like I would if I if they put out a Hannibal Rising quality feature, and I you would, repped for it, I would be so mad. Yeah, but like. This is yeah the the but this I think is but I I it's 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 between these two, uh, Manhunter and Silence of the Lambs for me for the top I I, I can't I can't make a call between because just because one they're super different and two yeah. like Silence of the Lambs I've just watched seen it way more so many times yeah. so many times and Jodie Foster Jodie Foster Jodie Foster amazing crushes the game crushes it yeah crushes it. I think she does I mean it's I I love William Peterson's performance but I I do think Jodie Jodie's better and that that might be the seller yeah but. yeah but like this this portrayal of red dragon is i think the scariest because in the show honestly he's like it's it's the fucking it's the guy who plays thorin oakenshield oh yeah plays yeah. him in the show and i mean he's big they do that bigger than they do that better than the movie like he's tall yeah but the, the ralph Fiennes is he's a, he I think he nails the personality. Yes, for the, sure. The best, like, as, I think he might be a little bit better suited to act the part than Tom Noonan. But Tom Noonan just got the physicality, and in this in this role, it's way more important, I think, to have the physicality because, like, he's still creepy. I, I will say too, though, they didn't. Michael Mann didn't give Tom Noonan maybe his vision for this film which I think works overall, it doesn't give his actors as much emoting time. Mm-hmm. He's got a big soundtrack over the space where you would usually hear like mm-hmm. hear the nuances in their speech and things like that. So they, they yeah. get a little drowned out by the aesthetic of the film. Maybe that's what I maybe that's why I was finding William Peterson to be a little flat yeah. is because like it's not that he's not doing a good job. Like I, I was trying to f- put my finger on it because I was like, I can't say that he's not doing a good job acting yeah. this part because he definitely is. But like, I and I was gonna write it off to the format, but I think you're right. There's just not a lot of breathing room because this comes in at a, at a tight two hours, which is a lot. Like, a, yeah, a, a pretty that's a quick move for this yeah. kind of mo- movie. For, that's very fast. Yeah, for an adaptation of a you know multiple hundred page long yeah. book, for sure. But like. I think yeah, I think I think the characters do suffer a little bit for it, which is kind of like a Michael Mann thing. But it's yeah, it's fine because it, it, the whole thing as a holistic whole, it pulls off. It people don't shine as bright, I think, but they yeah together they come the the whole product shines very brightly. So that I'm willing to make that trade off. So um, what happens basically is he gets uh, the Tooth Fairy, Mister Dollarhide, gets him to read a note. And then bites his fucking face off. Yeah. Uh, and then straps him to a wheelchair and sets him on fire and rolls his ass into a parking lot. The, and it is the irresistible terrifying. scene. Yeah. For anybody, for any director, it's yeah. present in every version of this. And yeah. If you got to do it. Yeah. No matter how many times the story gets told, on you got to do it. That will be. You've got to fucking scenes. do it. And but the 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 discussion he has with him is 
really scary when he's yeah. just like, you are right to tremble before me. Like, <laughs> but more than that, like you should like worship me or whatever he says. And it is fucking scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man, that just reminds me. I forgot that like <laughs> in the 2002 red dragon, which is Brett Ratner, <laughs> Freddie Lowndes is played by fucking Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> I was like, man, Brett Ratner probably like just cast the fuck out of it, huh? Yeah, but also like, I'm I'm thinking maybe he shared my distaste for this Freddie Lowndes, and he's just like, fuck that, I'm yeah. gonna use Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like, I'm not gonna use the most low key, subtle. Yeah. understated actor there is. That's not a... I don't know. It, it feels like not a great choice. I, I, You don't take like a bazooka and then shoot it off in the distance and be like, <laughs> yeah, we used the bazooka. Yeah. Best actor in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like... That's funny. Yeah. The So Will realizes at this point, um, because they get the... Um, they examine the note... I know my the order of timeline might be a little off. I'm I'm try, I go for more like a uh, I, I'm not trying to be like beat for beat with the films when we were when we talk about them. We so, assume you've watched them. Yeah, we assume you watched them. So I jump around a little, but will basically they realize that his family is in danger when they discover more of the note and the FBI moves to protect him. It's a cool little scene with like a, a like a technical FBI person. And, yeah, some of the uh, best tension in the movie. Yeah, it's really good. Um, this is kind of due to a, like a red herring where earlier in the film Hannibal through some phone freaking and smooth manipulation, tracks down Will's home address. And in the book, he sends Mr. Dollarhide. You know, he's he's trying to get Mr. Dollarhide to kill him. Yeah. But Mr. Dollarhide never shows up. Yeah. At, at his house. So that's yeah. why I call it a red herring. It's not, you know, it it is important, but it doesn't actually lead anywhere. Yeah. Well, it is the it is Hannibal's plan, too. It is Hannibal's plan. But it's just... It gets thwarted. It gets thwarted in part because I think, isn't this while... Uh, Francis Dollarhide is meeting his love interest. You're right. Actually, it is just Providence. Yeah, that that keeps Will's family safe because yeah. if Reba, if he doesn't meet Reba, then surely he would be down there. Yeah, definitely. Because he really admires Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, he does. Um, so there's another call between Will and Hannibal, which leads Will down the path of understanding more about the killer and his thoughts on transformation. So we learn about. You know, and there's this great thing is like, as one does what God does, one becomes closer to God. Mm-hmm. It's this great little dialogue they have about, you know, and God's wonderful. The other day he dropped a church on 30 of his yeah, followers. Yeah. Like, it's a great scene. It's, it's probably my favorite Hannibal scene in the movie. Um, so we learn uh, about his, uh, like, Will further understands his obsession with seeing and, and really gets that seeing thought. He gets his final clue in identifying him. Mm-hmm. And they determine... Hey, this guy, he's just running through the tape. He's like, how did he know about this? How did he see this? How did he know about the lock? How did he yeah. know about the Jacoby's cat? How did he know it? And, he, and it's like clicks. He's like, he's seen these fucking videos yeah. that I'm seeing. All the things that I'm seeing, he's seen. So he determines he worked at a video store, and that scene is dope. And he's just like, because him and Jack Crawford had just gotten into a, like a big-ass argument. Yeah. Where Jack's like, all right, it's late. We're done. We're, we'll meet on the next one. He's like, you don't tell me it's late. <laughs> Yeah, I'm fucking. I tell you when it's it's too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's dope. It's like Jack shuts the fuck up. Um, and I, the music builds again. I love this scene. I love this scene. And I'm like super ready to catch the red dragon with him. At the same time, Mr. Dollahide, who's had this romantic uh, attraction with a blind woman who works in the photography or in the video lab with him, um, named Reba. And this is a really cool aspect to this film, and I'm sure to the book. It's that this this relation, this little tryst between Reba and Mr. Dollahide. When you're watching it, you, as the audience, you're like, "Oh my God, he's about to kill this poor blind woman. Mm-hmm. He's a monster." But he doesn't kill her. He gets affection from her. She ends up making love to him mm-hmm. in the most awkward strange little limp-handed way that i've ever seen but yeah. which, which fits it which fits 100 yeah. percent with an abused child who grew up to be a serial killer yeah that fucking fits yeah Maybe. yeah uh but you you see him crying in the bed and you see him go to her in the morning and you're like it, the, the tears to me make it seem like this is him saying why couldn't this have happened sooner before mm-hmm. i became like this yeah 
this affection is what could have prevented me from yeah. becoming this monster. There's a lot to read into it. There's a lot. And they leave it open like they do with the whole film for you to imagine. Yeah. Um, but then... You can't just read it as like creepy, crazy, crying. Yes, you could. Or, but, but like there is a there is a lot in it. And like their, their relationship, honestly, is kind of sweet. It is. Like even though he is very weird and creepy. Yeah. Like very weird and creepy. He yeah. like... It, it's still like you're like oh yeah. <laughs> you know like I mean once you get over the initial like get away from him get away from him yeah. get away from him run like, you're just like well maybe <laughs> yeah maybe they'll be uh, maybe they'll be all right yeah and then you're it's like uh, immediately after though you're like no don't touch him don't you touch him you sweet sweet woman and uh, let me see who uh, Reba is played by. Joan Allen. So, yeah. Um, but the final straw in Mr. Dollahide's transformation is when he see he goes to Reba's house unannounced and tries to and sees a scene where she's getting dropped off by another guy from work. Yeah. And his crazy ass mind sees this crazy, you know, I don't know, like make out touch kind of scene. Yeah. He thinks that she's betrayed him. They back like the shit out of them, and like they, yeah. they, it, it looks like kind of like the silver eyed thing that Will was kind of imagining earlier. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar to that. It is, and it's, it's, it's just like you know, it's clearly a delusion. Yeah, clearly a delusion. They make that very clear. And when he does see this, and he goes full red dragon mode, he rips the fucking lining on his dashboard out with yeah. his bare hand. Yeah. yeah, it's nuts how strong he is. Like yeah. he. He's terrifying. And he, then he, he yeah. look, he's big, but he doesn't he's not like ripped. He doesn't doesn't look that strong, yeah. but it's like, oh my God, this guy is strong. Yeah. When he does that. Which is again, the film that does a good job. Be like, everything we gonna explain to you yeah. right now how this man about to do the things that he's about to do. Yeah. Which he goes up, one hand grabs the dude, pulls him into a bush, shoots him with a silenced pistol, yeah. goes up and is like, Mr. Doll Francis is dead. Francis yeah. is gone. Yeah. Which is his name, Francis Dollhide, and he's like, "Now it's you know Red Dragon time." The great white dragon. We just made that's me and Aaron. We just make fun of it on the the the, the guy who played Old Thor and Oaken Shield on yeah. on the TV show. Lisp. He's like, it's like, it's not. I don't know if it's a. It's like the 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 same speech impediment that Elmer Fudd has. Oh, the little like, well, like the L's to W's. Yeah, gotcha. R's to W's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, I am the great Wade Dwagon. 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 So anyway, he grabs her, and Will and Jack head down to apprehend Mr. Dalhide. And this is a great scene. They're flying in the plane. They're interacting with the only actor, I forget his name, the uh, the chief of police down there, the, the lead cop. He's the only actor in all of the Hannibal films. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but he is actually in all of them. Yeah, he's in, God, he's in Luke Cage. Yeah. But anyway. I can't remember his name. Um, Frankie Faison. Frankie Faison, yeah, his Lieutenant Fisk. He's in all of them, which is wild to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they get down, they're, they're, they're getting down there, and while this is happening, Dollar Hyde is torturing and preparing to kill Reba. Will and Jack are pulling up the scene, pulling up to the scene when Will's intuition kicks in, and he moves close enough to see the horrible event unfolding. Mm -hmm. He bursts through the glass. All right. So I just want to say this, this scene is to me fucking incredible. I love it. Uh, There are some jump cuts here and there, I think. So you can look at them as gaffes, but like, I love this scene when they start playing in a and she's screaming and like, this is mean. And he's like preparing to kill her. And then the music just boot builds, 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 and you see Will off in the background, and he bursts through the glass, and the glass, the uh, you know, you hear. Then you hear real sounds again. Yeah, Mister Dollhide like catches him in the air, and then gives him like one, two slashes, picks up the shotgun like it's a pistol, and starts blowing cops away with this one-handed shotgun. I think this is. I thought this was a really good scene. I thought the scene really works. It was really powerful. I think the the. The music cue, like when that that shot of Will running up to the window and then busting through right as the, right like the 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 crescendo of the like at the, at the song coming in like the guitar they they really extend this guitar intro yeah 
And it's like it's in Agana de Vida. It's like the and he when he I mean he's running at the glass for a long yeah. time, which I was like, okay, he's gonna bust through the glass. But this shot is still kind of I was like, damn, that was dope. Yeah. Like when he busts through and I do think the scene is really cool. I really preferred when they were fighting because when it gets into the 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 shooty shooty, it's a it is some of the jump cuts were just kind of jarring to me. Yeah, no, they and are like, like in modern film eyes for sure. And even here, I I don't know. I think I think there were choices for sure. They were choices. Yeah, I don't think they held up over time. I think we've kind of come to a conclusion as audiences that we're not a big fan of jump cuts used this much. Well, in the middle of action, yeah, like because you know, it's like I shoot you. You throw back and then jump cut to the same shot of you falling, like yeah. exploding backwards. Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, now you would call it sloppy in 86. Six. I'm not sure. I mean, these, these are, they're, they know what they're doing. Yeah. They're doing these jump cuts on purpose. Yeah. And I, it is an effect. I don't know if it's a budget thing or a, or a, like a choreography thing, but like it just was, it, it didn't take me out of it. Yeah. But it was, it was definitely jarring. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, so what it, what it is. Yeah, but Will finally puts this crazy son of a bitch down with these like crazy hollow point pe- bullets that he had from earlier. Yeah. Um but he takes several shots and doesn't flinch. Again, by far the scariest red dragon. I mean, this guy is terrifying. Like yeah. he takes out a couple of police officers one-handing a shotgun. Yeah. By the way, I mean, he is holding it like a toy. Yeah. Uh and he is terrifying. And yeah, he's very scary. And the scene leading up to this where he's getting ready to torture Reba. Yeah. And like where he leaves her alone and like he's slow. I love when he slow-mo punches the glass. Yeah. That yeah. was, that really worked. I'm kind of want to steal that and put that in something. Yeah. Yeah. Just that, as an homage. Cause I just thought that was really cool. Really. Yeah. That was an effective thing. And his whole, his, I mean, his whole deal is mirrors and putting mirrors in people's eyes and yeah. people like the reflection of him being seen. And, um, but I thought the the lead up to this was really cool. Also, I just thought it was a neat touch that he is he works at a photography like developing play yeah. like business as there used to be. <laughs> and, yeah, and he has this enormous like photo like poster print mm-hmm. of like what looks like Mars mm-hmm. on. It's like a it's an entire wall, and then they use that to great effect during this scene too when he bust through there's a door behind the wall and it looks like he just bust through the entire wall like this huge wall and and to get to reba i was like oh okay we big and strong huh yeah he was like very big and strong (laughs) big and strong um the film ends with real back with his family and the sea turtles uh that mostly made it so it's pretty circular with a scene at the beginning of the movie where he's building the fencing to protect the sea turtles. So maybe the sea turtles represent people's lives and Will is protecting them just like he protected people by catching serial killers. Damn. <laughs> this movie is dope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, you no, get valid, it? Valid, yeah. valid, valid. I mean, you get it? Like, sure. what's the whole sea turtle scene about? He's building this cage to protect the sea turtles. They <laughs> mostly make it. Most of the people live. Yeah. You don't like the sea turtle, no, the I circular do, nature do, of the, the beginning of the film, the sea turtles, the end. The sea I do. Turtles. I mean, we t- we took a walk to get there, but I like it. It's, I like it. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, so I might like Silence of the Lambs a little bit more because I've seen it more often, and I love Jodie Foster. But I actually like Brian Cox's portrayal of Hannibal more than Anthony Hopkins. And the film, this film has several gaffes, like jump cuts, which are fine but i mean you know there are mistakes in some places i think um i love the the silhouette wide frame lighting that they do at the beginning and the end of the film i'm not a fan of how spinotti kind of lights will so flat like he has zero shadow on his face most of the time but that's just my personal opinion there's nothing wrong with the way he lit him i love the way he lit all of his uh scenes i love the way all the 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 sets are lit and i love the composition of the pacing, the acting, and the score. For COC film, this is Tarver's pick, and I give it 10 out of 10 Tarver White Claws. Well, yeah. Hell, yeah. I'm a huge fan of the way this movie is shot. I think it's a beautiful movie. Um, and, yeah, I, it's it's hard to... Uh, you know, it's I, I've only seen it once. I think on its 
face, I think it works better as a procedural than it does as a... And I mean, it's the first one, so there's no way that any of these... Anybody working on this movie could have predicted that this these characters would go on to become the you know the the huge they're a franchise under themselves you know like yeah. and so it's it's a little difficult to separate the characters from what they've all become but i think like on its face as a procedural this works really well like i think it's a i think it's a really good movie and i i like everybody's portrayal of these characters even though i've been exposed to like the I, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter is an archetype, you yeah, know, like, yeah. and Jodie Foster as Clarice, you know, even though in, even though she's not in this Hannibal Lecter story, like it's, it's hard not to miss her. Um, she's but, like the Will Graham character. Yeah, yeah. She's like the Will Graham character. And I mean, Clarice Starling is in the books, but like not as much. I think she really sounds of the lambs is one of her only like, cool <laughs> stories. And you can really give it to Jodie Foster for just destroying that role. That's yeah. why it's so yeah. big. She's a monster. Like yeah. she's, she, she, she crushes it. But like, I, I think this movie is really, really good. I think that everybody showed up, everybody did a really good job. And you know, I might, I might be more partial to like, a uh, on a rewatch of cult of classics movies, maybe like a Hedwig and the angry inch or something like mm. that's, but that's just more my speed and more my style. But if you are a fan of Hannibal Lecter, and those films, this is a hidden gem. I'm telling you, this, definitely check. This it is out. one of the very few films that has gone totally for the general zeitgeist. On they missed it. They missed one with this one. Is what I'm saying. This is a true cult, like cult classic, in which the the reception was not up to what this film actually is. And yeah, so do yourself a favor. If you haven't watched it, you probably shouldn't listen to this episode, but <laughs> let your friends know, hey, have you seen Manhunter? It's a really great film from the 80s. Yeah. And then, you know, watch them. If they haven't watched the show, if they just like Silence of the Lambs, yeah. watch them watch this fucking, if they don't re, if they don't recognize Jack Crawford, which they probably won't because right. Dennis Farina is like nothing like any other portrayal of Jack Crawford. No. Like, the then wait till Hannibal Lecter pops up. He's not going to get on screen until like 30 minutes in. Like, you know, only fatal flaw of this film, though, is there no great big fat person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, there's, there's, a, there's a noticeable lack of Ted Levine. No great big fat person. <laughs> this movie, yeah. It's not even Ted Levine, no. He's just great big fat person. Oh, Adrian, you're not ready. Randy. <laughs> Nobody wants Adrian to be ready. More than I want Adrian to be ready. <laughs> All right. <laughs> a big shout out to Ted Levine. Yeah. A, true, a true OG. And uh, yeah, take us home. This has been the Cult of Classics. My name is Tarver Peterson. My name is Liam Kelly. Thank you for listening. And goodbye. <laughs> I speak. Less. Yes, every time. <laughs>